Hi guys, thanks for tuning in and welcome to the very first episode of the Filmmaker Talk. Today uh, I have a special guest or my guest is Tyler Edwards. He's also a filmmaker. I think he's from uh, Colorado. Correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> and today we're gonna chat about like filmmaking business, like what's actually important, how he became a filmmaker and all that kind of stuff. I hope that is interesting for you. I will also make that available as a podcast. So I will link that down below. And if you are listening at the podcast at the moment, just be aware that we also have recorded that for you on YouTube if you want to see our uh, lovely faces. <laughs> so Tyler, how's it going? Great. Thanks for having me on, Paul. I uh, really appreciate the opportunity to just first of all I'll chat with you like I, I've watched your your content uh, a lot both your both your English and German channel with with the subtitles my uh my German is not what it used to be <laughs> so uh it's but it's really cool to um to to finally chat with you and, and connect with you yeah yeah likewise so uh do you actually speak a little bit German or nine um I it have a Dreier Jahre gelernt im Schule. That's it's it's uh it's it's so it's embarrassing. I think we should definitely do English. <laughs> no worries, but he uh, he basically said that he learned it for three years in English, and I could understand it. So uh, that's totally fine. So how is uh, the whole situation in the U.S. with uh, coronavirus and all that stuff? Yeah, it is a uh, it's it's interesting because it there um. First of all, like I think we're on the the up and up, um, based on uh, here in Colorado, um, they are they, they take it very seriously. And that's not to say that other other states in the U.S. don't take it seriously, but um, especially in the in the counties where there's really high populations, um, they they've done a really good job at, at kind of shutting things down and and making sure that you know everyone's being safe and. Um, so they have different levels here in Colorado, and with with that, uh, they kind of raised it up really high back in uh, you know in December around the holiday season, which was kind of a bummer because it was hard to see family and stuff. But uh, it's definitely trending down now. Um, but it, it kind of depends on on kind of the the geographic location. Uh, I think I think Florida, for example, is kind of just wide open and. California is even more shut down, but as a whole, I think we're kind of trending in the right direction, especially with the vaccines and stuff coming out. It's definitely helping, but um, it's definitely been really challenging, uh, especially in, in Q1, uh, which is all, already a pretty challenging quarter for, for filmmaking. Um, having, having that with, um, having that with the, the, the pandemic just makes it really difficult. And I'm pretty new to Colorado. I moved to Colorado back in August of last year during the pandemic. So, um, I mean, networking, we'll get into all that stuff, but networking and, and finding, finding work in a new city during a pandemic is definitely presented its own challenges for sure. Yeah. That was actually what I wanted to ask you about how are you dealing with moving to a different city without having any contacts or no clients there? Uh, so you're just building a network right now or or what's or do you or do you still work for clients that you had back in Charleston? I think it was right. That's exactly right. Um, there's yeah, it's it's kind of a um, kind of a cocktail of everything that you just mentioned. Um, you know, moving here, the the first thing I did is 
Uh, I sent out a lot of cold emails, like cold calls, but I just sent out emails. And um, a lot of those were to local churches in the area because I'd done, um, back in Charleston, a lot of work with the church there. And, uh, and in fact, and kind of during the pandemic, I joined their, their filmmaking team full time. Uh, so I kind of had that experience and kind of knew kind of how to work uh, in, in, in that in that realm and kind of in that market. So I reached out to a number of churches and, and did a few projects um, with that. One, one I was really proud of is a Christmas production that turned out really cool. And, um, and then from there, it's just been networking with um, filmmakers just to kind of meet other filmmakers in the area for number one, just to network and, and meet new people. Number two, for, uh, you know, bigger projects where, you know, I may need crew. Um, that, you know, it's a great resource to pull on, but I'm also, uh, you know, connecting with local production companies as well that, you know, that have a, a DP or camopolist or something like that. Um, so just trying to get, trying to get there, but Q1 is always a, a really tricky quarter for, for filmmaking for some reason. So it's, it's been a lot of that. And then there is some work that I'm doing with, uh, some clients still back in Charleston, um, and they have work actually kind of around the country. So um, it's kind of nice being somewhat central as opposed to, you know, being on the coast. So um, a lot of that. Uh, did you did you move for a specific reason to, to Colorado for, uh, not only for, mainly because also for private, but also like from a business standpoint or? Um, we moved to Colorado simply just because we we wanted to be here it's 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 beautiful here the rocky mountains are are just i mean they're they're it's it's amazing scenery and i grew up on the beach so um just a, a complete change of pace for both my wife and i and and we we decided you know we we want to move here and so she she works as a product marketer um in kind of the the digital marketing world for um, now for a brand new company, but we we moved out here. She she got a job um, with a company in Boulder, and uh, that's kind of what kind of pushed us to, to move out here. Um, really weird experience during the pandemic, but um, we honestly we we decided to move out here just because we wanted to, and that's kind of been our philosophy ever since we got married. That. We're, we we want to live somewhere where we want to live, not because a job takes us there. Um, and so being freelance, I mean, I, I was kind of knew what it was like starting a business back in Charleston. And so it's kind of kind of going back through some of those growing pains, but obviously a lot of lessons learned with like where to shop for insurance and all that kind of stuff has definitely kind of gave me a little head start. Um, so I could really focus on, you know, building a network, building client relationships and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, because also since you mentioned that, I'm not sure if that's something that's only specific to Germany. But for example, here, a lot of people are, uh, there are still people that are somewhat open minded that want to connect with other filmmakers. But there's also a bunch of people that say, ah, yeah, these ones are like, like let's say competition and I don't want to deal with them. And I think that's the totally, the total wrong approach because I've just said, when you are uh, gonna have a bigger project, you need to build a crew and then you want to 
work with people that you can actually rely on and then in the first bit is that you already have worked with so yeah i think the i think you can achieve so much more when you do stuff together absolutely um and it's very it's it's weird like the different markets um, I, I, I've never worked in LA or, or lived in LA, but that's very definitely a very competitive market. Um, but from from kind of what I've gathered here in Colorado, it's in the Denver area, just kind of the the, the, the biggest city pretty much here. Um, it from what I've you know learned and kind of been told, the, the it's kind of a, a a small a big a small town big city kind of thing. So there there's a lot of work but there's to be had but there's also this kind of a a, a tight-knit uh, filmmaking community which is really cool and really hard right now to kind of network and connect with that just just due to the the pandemic and you know trying to be safe and healthy and everything but um yeah i mean i i felt that way too back in charleston there were definitely um you know trying to learn you know the business and stuff a lot of a lot of people just seem to be really tight-lipped on you know business growth strategy or networking or something and to the point where i mean there was enough work to be going around and i just I, i'm with you i i just think i mean there there is enough work to be going around there's there is a job for everyone there's jobs that people don't want and you know i just I don't, I don't, I think competition's healthy. I think that makes all of us, uh, all, all of us better business people and better filmmakers. And I think competition is healthy, but uh, I think where healthy, the healthy part of competition comes in, there's some bit of camaraderie and some level of, we want our industry to succeed uh, regardless. And uh, that's kind of where, where I feel like if, you know, if I, I, I personally, if I lose a bid to a job, you know what? I lost it, and you know, obviously the other company had a better proposal. But I'm also really psyched for them because that means, you know, hopefully that means a, a local company was able to, a local production company was able to get the job instead of it being outsourced to, you know, someone from Atlanta or LA or, or New York. And, and not that, you know, not that I don't like anybody from LA or, or New York or anything, but. From a localized from a localized standpoint, it's just really cool to see, you know, local businesses partner with local filmmakers. And I mean, I'm actually like I'm wearing my Creative Solutions support local filmmaker shirt, <laughs> actually. So, okay, yeah, really cool. And how did you get into filmmaking? Did you did you went to film or did you go to film school? Is the right uh, <laughs> right to say? Um, and uh, or was it was just that you crossed into the industry because you were interested in? Yeah, it's it's always been a hobby of mine. Um, the uh, actually that camera right there is the Canon 60D. That was my first DSLR that kind of got me into making videos, and uh, it was just always a hobby of mine. And I worked at the Boeing company, who I'm sure you're familiar with Airbus, bigger, big com competitor to Airbus. And uh, I worked there for uh, almost, well, like seven years, almost to the day, to the, to the day. And I worked in finance there and just didn't love it. I just, I was, couldn't do the spreadsheets anymore. So um, I, <laughs> I had done some work, um, video work just for uh, small, just really small projects, just to kind of keep up with the craft and it got to the point where you know number one I was 
definitely investing a lot of money into equipment for a hobby. And number two, hey, I think I can actually make a living off of this and do something that I genuinely love. And so I just, I quit cold turkey and went into freelance. That was three or four years ago, maybe. And, uh, but yeah, it just started out as a hobby. Never, I've never went to film school. My, my film school was YouTube University. I learned everything from, from YouTube. And shortly after getting that camera, I got the, uh, the original cinema camera from Blackmagic Design. And uh, ever since then, I've kind of been the, in the, the Blackmagic, for owning cameras, Blackmagic and Canon has just kind of been like this. But I've always had both Blackmagic and Canon cameras. Not that that really matters, but... They, they do match very well. I was, uh, a few months ago, I was um, doing like, uh, how's it called? Yeah, I made uh, a making of, like a behind the scenes. Uh, it's a little bigger production company and they do a lot of live streaming and they had a huge live stream set up in a abundant cinema for a company and it was really huge and i was filming with the pocket 6k as well as the canon r6 and when i handed the footage over uh they said to me uh yeah that uh, it matched pretty well because blackmagic has kind of this brownish tones and also canon like a little bit reddish so uh it was very easy to match and uh yeah therefore i also i always had also this, the same feeling that i didn't uh, had to work massively in post to to match both of them together. So yeah, I totally agree. I have a one DX Mark III as my my go to war camera, the camera that just you know, and uh, it yeah it does. It's it's got a fantastic image. Um, you know, definitely you have to know its limitations just with the Canon Log profile and all that stuff, but. That's, I mean, you have to know any tool that you use, whether it's a camera or a light or a mic. Um, once you understand that, and once you understand the, the limitations and, and where it starts to break apart, um, yeah, I mean, it, it, I agree with you. It's pretty, pretty easy to match those cameras, which is really nice. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, hopefully Canon will, uh, I, I don't know if they will do, but I heard rumors that they will implement Canon Log 3 into uh at least canon r5 r6 and also 1dx mark 3 so uh, that would be really great because i totally agree that uh it's a little bit challenging sometimes because canon log is so limited actually um yeah but uh you can always ask for more right <laughs> yeah I've, I've heard the same rumor i mean supposedly a firmware update's coming soon but we uh only time will tell, but if we got Canalog 3, if we got Canalog 2 on the one, the 1DX and R5, and oh man, that would be awesome. That would be really cool. Yeah, so uh, so um, you you said like you um, just quit your job basically and then went into uh, yeah, freelance work. Uh, how was it back in the day? Did you already have some projects aligned or planned or did you just went out and just hoped for the best will come or uh, how was it for you? And what would you, when you think back, what would you recommend to other people when they want to do the same? Um, yeah, if, if you're looking to to leave leave your current job to pursue photography or filmmaking or or, or whatever you're passionate, I mean, it could be it could be contract or you know a, a builder or whatever. Um, you know, a, a good rule of thumb is to, if you can, 
I, I, I didn't quite go this route, but if you can have when, when you're when you're whatever you're wanting to go into, whether if say we'll just use filmmaking, if filmmaking is what you're wanting to go into, uh, it, when you start making enough income and clients to the point where you can support yourself, that's I mean, that's obviously that's the kind of the golden rule. However, uh, there was a point where uh, when I was working full time, I, I didn't have really the time to really dedicate to building clients and stuff because a lot of corporate work is done during the week and I just couldn't take time off. Um, so what I did is I, I started doing some weddings and kind of went that route. I hope to never do any more again, but the um, that was something to at least start showing people that I could actually use a camera and all that, but also just having uh, some passion projects that you're doing on the side, something to show potential clients what you're capable of. Um, and that's what I did. I had a lot of material that I used from travel videos and wedding videos and smaller projects that I had and all that kind of built up to where I could have, you know, somewhat of a reel. It, I, I don't even know where it is anymore because it's definitely, definitely a little bit embarrassing now to go back and look at that. But, um, but, but it was something and you, you start small and, um, network. I mean, one of the things that I did because I didn't have a lot of commercial work, uh, in my, in my reel, I partnered with uh, a local production company and just got hired on to first AC or just help on set, even uh, even just loading up stands. I mean, whatever the case may be, it didn't matter. I just wanted to get on set, to have the experience, and to network. And through that networking, you know, you meet other other people in the industry, whether it's gaffers or grips or audio guys and gals or um, even even other agencies, people at the agency that get to know your name. Now, if you're on set, don't ever give your information out to the client if you're working for a production company, obviously. Um, but the production company I was with just said, hey, you know, here's here's another resource for smaller projects that we can't do or something. Um, and, and they kind of would pass my name along and, and slowly and surely things just started to, you know, kick into motion and, um, you know, another thing that's really helped me in my career, oddly enough, is YouTube. Being able to uh, connect with other filmmakers and stuff, that's actually led to led to work for myself, but it's also led to me being able to find other filmmakers to work on projects with me that I trust because I can see their work as well. So yeah, that's definitely helpful. I was kind of in the same situation around same time and I didn't have any projects lying ahead but i totally agree you need to have like a portfolio so what i did was asking friends that i had from from school and they working in companies or they are have their own business that i just offered them for free shooting like a commercial something like that just to build up a portfolio that i can show to potential clients and I think it's also pretty helpful to have a little bit of savings on the side because I had like a little bit of money uh, put back to, yeah, just to survive for the next half a year because you don't know what's gonna happen. And I think it's also noticeable when you are 
when you don't have any money and you're negotiating with the client and they feel that you really need the job that you have to survive uh, that's not a an ideal position i think um, but yeah, from total standpoint, because when you're doing projects, you get to know new people, they're gonna know your name and that gonna lead into more, yeah, as I said, uh, the, the um, I don't know how it's called in English, but the businesses uh, start to running and yeah, that's uh, kind of cool. And also, uh, you said like, uh, but did you got already some jobs through YouTube? So would you recommend to other people starting a youtube channel uh, also for marketing purposes yeah absolutely um the so when i when i started youtube um i i just decided to well i, I just liked doing you like i just thought it was fun to do but as i as i was kind of moving along in my 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 youtube career if if that's what you call it um i i, I noticed the like the tangible impact of of networking and that was a huge huge bonus to starting youtube channels because over time when you start to build an audience and, and i mean my audience is, is relatively small still but you know it only takes it only takes one subscriber to meet that could lead to lead to a, a long-lasting relationship and friendship and, and all that good stuff um so yeah i mean i i just make content make you know just whatever it was a camera review or a some kind of gadget or whatever the case may be but you, you put out enough content and be consistent with it and um you know have great looking b-roll and you know experiment with things that kind of like people people will notice that and, and not necessarily clients all the time but if i put like personal projects or something on there and, and a client is is looking for an idea uh, I, I've gone to some of my my YouTube videos, just some of my passion projects, and said like, "Hey, you know, I, I did this uh, just for fun. Maybe we could go something like this route." And so, yeah, that's actually a really good idea. Uh, and then the other thing with the YouTube channel is, for me, the ability to to experiment and learn new things that you can't you can't do on set. And I can't stress it enough: like a client's not paying you to experiment with lighting on set. There, I mean, there, you can, you, you kind of can, like, I mean, you can definitely audition lights and, and, and kind of figure that out, but you, you can't experiment with a technique. Like you, you can't go on set and say, Hey, I saw this YouTube video on cove lighting and I, I really kind of want to try that, that you just, you can't do that. So, um, doing YouTube videos has really allowed me the opportunity, opportunity to experiment with different lighting techniques and, and different, uh, camera movement techniques and, and composition and stuff like that that I wouldn't I would not uh, I would not experiment with with a client because they're they're paying me to be the professional not to be uh, you know a scientist on set I guess yeah that's true when you're doing things like for the first time then there's always like the risk that something can go wrong and that's also what what I did I, because also I, I got when I was starting out and uh, normally at the start you don't have that many jobs all the time and I also got better by making YouTube and also sharing the knowledge that I got and also growing together with the community and also cool that led to a point right now because also 
uh, like in Germany, the YouTube community is really small and also like the subscriber numbers are way lower than, uh, for example, if you're doing English content. Um, because now I'm, I have half of the subscribers that I have on my German channel. I have on my German like 6,000 or I have 3,000 and it took me like half a month and for 6,000 I'm doing that like two years now or something like that so it's it's really small but at the same time uh, I got recognized by Canon and they asked me uh, they asked me if I want to test the C70 because I'm one of the let's say bigger content creators uh, for the German market and that wouldn't have been possible uh, in English because there are so many other people that are let's say I have 500,000 subscribers or something like that. So that's really cool. And also they ask for my feedback about the camera. And yeah, I think it's, it's, it's really, really great to also share the knowledge that you got also helping other people. And also like, as I said, experimenting, I've saw a lot of your uh, lighting tutorials, uh, especially uh, I remember the way you lit like the water midi scene, I think it was. Uh, and I, I was like really thinking what the C200 has that amount of dynamic range <laughs> was really looking great so yeah um, so uh, because I've already talked about a little bit uh, what equipment are you currently using so you said you're using the 1DX Mark III and you're using the Ursa Mini I think right yeah so my my Ursa, my my 1DX is primarily just for stills and um, BTS and, and stuff like that. Um, uh, I could, that's, it's a long story why, anyways. But to give you the current setup, um, I'm running the Ursa G2 as my, my main cam. And then um, the, actually the Pocket 6K Pro, hopefully will be on the way soon. And that'll kind of, that'll kind of be my B cam. Um, so yeah, that's, that's what I run camera wise. Um, and then if, if there's a project where I, you know, interviews or something or, or whatever, I'll just rent, uh, either another Ursa or, uh, like another pocket cam or something like that, just cause they match so well. And, um, the, the, the black magic raw workflow is, 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 is pretty incredible, especially I'm, I'm on the little M1 MacBook Pro, and I mean, it, it was better than my old Mac Pro. So the, 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 the codec workflow is, is pretty spectacular. Now, I mean, the 1DX, like the, the, the high efficiency 10-bit codec actually plays back fine on the computer now. So I have been incorporating that back into uh, my workflow a little bit. But uh, so that's with the camera and then lenses, I'm, I'm typically using the Sigma Art lenses, the 18 to 35 and uh, 24 to 70. Uh, those are pretty much my, my primary lenses that I use for anything, but it just depends on the project. Like I, I rented a, a set of Leica R lenses for uh, this Christmas project. And um, yeah, it, it just turned out looking beautiful. The, the Sigma Art lenses are just, they're, they're really clinical and they're great for, for commercial work. Um, but if I want to go creative, I'll just rent uh, a set of lenses. I really want to rent, rent a set of Atlas Orions because that would be super fun. But need to find a need to find a client that has the 
the the extra budget just for lunch rental. <laughs> Uh, how was it? Because you had the C200 before, I think. Also, you got the Pocket 4K, right? So what was uh, the reason why you, you said, like, uh, obviously you wanted to stay in the Blackmagic ecosystem? Uh, why going for the Ursa? Yeah, that's that's the long story. Um, so <clears throat> back in, back in um, well, whenever the pandemic kind of, kind of kicked off, that's such a poor poor choice of words there but when the the pandemic started and especially in, in in the US pretty much every I lost all of my contracts everything just which I understand I mean money is tight and you there's a lot of unexpected you got to cut expenses so totally get that but the um but I joined the a filmmaking team uh, with a church in I want to say April or something and the, the really cool thing with that team was um, you could use the, the equipment for freelance work if, if it wasn't being utilized and you just kind of checked it out and all that kind of stuff. And they had, they had a C200, you know, there's this, we had a C200 um, uh, as one of the cameras. So my C200 was just collecting dust. And uh, although we wanted to move to Colorado, we, we had zero expectations of, getting a job out here during a pandemic. So I thought, you know what, I'm gonna be here a, a while. I really liked working on the team. So I sold my C200 just because it was collecting dust at my house. And I, I just didn't see a real, a reason to hold on to it. And then, um, and then I sold my pocket 4K, cause again, we had great, great equipment to use for that. And, and I, I just, if, if a camera's not being used, then I just, it's kind of like I, I play guitar and it, it, I just don't like guitars that hang on walls and aren't used. If they're not being used, just they, they deserve to be put to use. So that's kind of what I thought with my Pocket 4K. So sold it to a good friend of mine. And um, yeah, and I just started offloading equipment, not offloading equipment that was collecting dust that I wasn't using on the regular. Like I was still using my 1DX for you know, YouTube videos and all that BTS and stuff. And yeah, but that's why, so I sold those cameras and then we moved out here and I had no camera. So I was like, I need to get something. And uh, the, the Ursa G2 just ticked all the boxes for me because it has built-in built XLR, built-in NDs. And I, I personally like the form factor of the Ursa, but so that's just kind of, what what I decided to to go with with just the Black Magic Raw workflow and uh, yeah I mean that's kind of the the reason why I went with the G2 I almost went for the the 12K actually but um, you know I I decided that that image although it's a beautiful image it's not worth the twice the price of the Ursa to where I could re I could reallocate the, the funding that I had set aside for, as opposed to just getting the 12K, I, re, I allocated that to uh, lensing and uh, more lights and audio equipment and all that stuff that makes much a much bigger impact on your image than, than a camera sensor. Yeah, uh, I think uh, from the 12K, I really like the technology that they use, like that you can 
uh, record in 4K RAW without cropping the sensor, which is really great. But at the same time, um, I always felt like when I was using the Pocket 6K, um, even at maximum compression, that the files were just simply a little bit too big. So also 4.6K is right in the middle of the sweet spot. So you have a little bit more headroom above 4k to crop in if you need to <laughs> and uh, actually 4k is more than enough so uh and another i mean another reason too is i i although i run my own production company i also like to just dp and stuff and having the the option of recording prores internally was another really big selling point for me because some clients just they just don't like the Blackmagic RAW workflow or they their their NLE doesn't support it. So having ProRes as an option for internal recording is really was really important to me. So that's another reason why I went went that route. And I had the Blackmagic the Pocket 6K in my cart maybe 10 times. I almost purchased it like 10 cuz it's a beautiful I mean the the sensor is gorgeous and I'm, and I'm actually really glad they kept that same sensor in the 6k pro but i i just i don't know i just had this feeling and i just like i'm just gonna hold off and just see like what happens and and then then they came out with one with an internal nds and i was like well there's there's your answer right there you know yeah i think um i don't understand uh for i really liked uh, i also shot with the canon c70s i'm projecting really liked the image out of it and uh also like the c70 is a fantastic camera but i personally don't understand why they don't put prores uh, in the camera i think because they want to have their proprietary xfavc codec or whatever but I totally get that because I also have like uh, when I'm shooting for an agency and they want to have the footage, they always ask, at least here in Germany, for ProRes. And uh, it's like kind of uh, an extra step that you have to do uh, when you transcode all your footage rather than having just recording it in camera and then you just can't hand over and there you go. Uh, so yeah, I, I don't know. I think also Sony doesn't do that and but i'm not sure maybe you you know more than than i do but i've heard that uh licensing pro is, is for free i'm not sure if that's the truth but uh yeah i don't know the answer to that i know i know there is there are licensing requirements with ProRes. um maybe maybe there are certain resolutions that are that are free but um that that I don't know. I, I don't know the answer to that. I'm not a. I haven't really I really haven't researched because I'm not a camera manufacturer. So I just want I just want to record the footage. <laughs> How is it with the uh, Ursa G2? They uh, can they do also 300 frames? Was that true or was it just? Uh... Yeah, the the G2 in in uh, in HD will shoot at 300 frames per second, and actually the it it actually looks really good if if you record at uh, like the three to one compression or q0 or whatever it is uh it it actually looks really good if it's lit really well it actually uprises to to 4k pretty well i i i don't i don't typically use that very often um just because i i have that high frame rate button on the side and for slow motion a hundred 
100 and what is it 50 frames per second if you use the the two four you know two four one aspect ratio that that is plenty enough slow motion and it's almost it's almost too much most of the time i mean 60 60 frames is usually plenty but for but i haven't i haven't i just haven't had the the need i haven't really shot anything where i, I need 300 frames per second, but I, I kind of been wanting to experiment with it. So I don't know, maybe I'll, maybe I'll do something with 300 frames per second sometime on a YouTube video, because that's when I experiment. So uh, what do you, uh, what is your editing software? Did you, I think you use also Resolve, right? Or? Yeah, prim primarily uh, DaVinci Resolve. Uh, I, we, we used, when the last year of the team I was on, we, we were in Premiere Pro for when we, worked on the same project, but um, if there was ever a project that I just took on myself, I was just in, in Resolve. It's become, it's it's come along so far to to the point where, I mean, it's, it's just as good as any of the other ones out there. And for me, I, I, I don't know, I don't know, well, number one, I mean, Blackmagic Raw, it, it's, you know, they're, they're built, they're built together, you know, so, um, there's always that native support and but the editing and, and all that is so easy and I'm I'm not one of the the editors that do the crazy whip transitions and the all the like kind of the trendy stuff I I kind of have more I try to have more of a, a timeless transitions that will kind of that will still you know look normal 10 years from now and uh, well, I say that, but who, who, who the heck knows? Maybe the whip thing will be the new standard. But um, so for all that stuff, Resolve it 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 just it runs smoothly. And then obviously color grading. There's there's no need to do round tripping or anything like that. Yeah, for me also, I switched like I think beginning of 2019 to Resolve first. I just because I was coming from Premiere. And I was also kind of upset that it always crashed. And um, I also find like the dynamic link system switching from one program to another kind of works, but it's not the same as if you have like everything built into one software like on Resolve. So I tested the free version and uh, after one month I liked it so much and then I just purchased, purchased uh, the full version and ever since then um yeah I'm, I'm really happy with it and also like color grading of course you can do so much with it and it's not layer based anymore i just have to get used more to to fusion <laughs> uh because i tend to use after effects for like let's say like like some simple lower third animation for like client stuff something like that um but yeah, uh, all in all, I think, and, and I also got the feeling that from now, I think like last year, they are always, they are coming out more, uh, let's say like um, packages that you can buy, like plugins for Resolve that weren't really there before. So also the the, the software got more support from, from third party manufacturers and something like that. So that's that's pretty cool, I think. Yeah, I agree. The, the, the Fusion thing is, I've, I've... It's been a. I haven't had a computer that's been like powerful enough to to really take full advantage of Fusion, um, but that I'm still holding out to maybe the more powerful M1 Max come out later this year that I'd be able to take advantage of it. Um, but 
Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, fusion is really powerful, and what I, what I've seen people do with fusion is is incredible. But, um, I yeah. But I think the the plugins thing. I think those are going to start coming out quicker and quicker, uh, simply just because I think there are a lot of companies out there like Motion VFX and stuff that just knew how to use the other software systems, After Effects and what was the other one, Compress or uh, Motion, Apple Motion. Um, and I, th I think that's kind of where they were built. I could be completely wrong on this, but I just think probably people are developers have learned are starting to learn fusion well enough to be able to get enough out there and there are some out there right now that are pretty good i just i haven't really used it because anytime i open fusion it just slows my computer down so but yeah i agree i i really want to learn fusion yeah i think uh, as you've mentioned i'm also waiting for the new iMac with the m1 processor because what i've seen is really great i'm rocking the 2019 iMac and I don't have any any problems but uh, I don't uh, for example I think it's the same on the 1DX Mark III when you have dot this H.265 files uh, my R6 that is, is it is simply not manageable I have to create proxies <laughs> um, and I don't I'm not sure what Canon did because I have also for example on the Zcam you also have an H.265 uh, compression uh, j just in case you want to and that's playing back very smoothly I don't have any issues with that but not sure I, I've I've never had a laptop so I having the freedom of, of working from anywhere has been pretty cool um, and I was when I bought the so I had I used to have a 2013 Mac Pro it was it was awful I mean it got to the point where I finally traded it in but it was the point where I could in resolve I couldn't even I couldn't even edit an HD timeline in full resolution so I think one of the graphics cards or something had obviously gone out, but <laughs> it was it was pretty pitiful. And so, but I uh, I put the uh, I got the the M1 MacBook Pro and traded in my my Mac Pro with with the kind of the thought process or the intention of if it doesn't work out right, I'll just get the the the, the iMac the 5K iMac because I don't need the M1 engine for for most video editing for you know prime you know black magic raw and stuff but i've been so impressed that i haven't even put put the imac order in i just put that on the back burner because you know rumor has it that a, a more pro level m1 style mac i don't know if it's a macbook or an imac or what but i mean eventually i think all of them will be but Supposedly, they say sometime this year, a more pro level, whatever, gonna come out. Even if it's a more pro level MacBook Pro, like the 16 inch or something, that I keep pointing down because I have my computer right here for reference for anybody watching. Um, but if even if they come out with a 16 inch MacBook Pro, I, I'd be willing to just run with that. And if it's powerful enough, just because being able to work on the fly and DIT on set, jump dump footage and stuff that's just all so beneficial to have that can't have that with a with a with an imac station however i kind of do like the 
cleanliness of an iMac do. So that's that's something. But we'll see. I mean, right now this this little MacBook Pro is chugging along. That it it impresses the the heck out of me. So since we are already talking about uh, post production, uh, a lot of the people uh, I think um, underestimated. But uh, how you're gonna be dealing with uh, backupping, saving your footage? What is your workflow for that? For for actual editing, I just edit off of these T5 drives. They're really they're really fast, and um, especially with the connection to the Thunderbolt, whatever number it is on the MacBooks, uh, it's it's blazing fast, and I can edit anything off it. Even even R3D files, it, it runs fine. And then and then I just have some G drives just to back up on. And then um, and then important stuff, I back up on these again. The uh, this is a client of mine's. They're um, they just sent me these to, to back up their projects on. So I have a bunch of redundancies, but they, you know, I I recommend to the client if they can afford it to get these T5 drives because I'll back up and everything and I'll put the project file and everything on here as well. So if they ever want to go back to it, then they can have, they can open every, everything up and everything's localized. And so if they open Resolve, which I think they have, then they can open up the project real quick and, you know, render it out at a, at a higher resolution if they want and s stuff like that where, um, you know, if, if if it's something that I charge for, then they don't have to deal with it. They, have to, they don't have to call me. And so it, it kind of works out. So, yeah, I'm always like uh, calculating like uh, a fee, uh, like it's like around 50 euros so that saves me that i can buy a hard drive where i can store the footage on and i always recommend to other people like saving the footage because you don't know if you work next year with the client and they say yeah we shot last year this project together and actually we could use some footage out of that it would be pretty cool and if you're the one who is saying oh i didn't have that anymore <laughs> uh yeah so and i also think like um i haven't done that uh just doing it like this year um backupping everything um in the cloud so i have a google google drive um subscription uh, i've already like 10 terabytes on there and that's yeah you kind of need to have a fast uh, uh internet connection But it's uh, really, really helpful because you don't know uh, for some reason the hard drive isn't working anymore or uh, someone wrapped it whatsoever. So uh, it's just uh, peace of mind, so to say. Yeah, hard drives definitely fail. I, I, that's why I, I do like having the the SSDs. Um, those SSDs or, or even, even like these kind of SSDs, Uh, just just anything that's a solid state drive they they are they are more reliable than the spinning the spinning drives and so um if it if it's within the budget and I, i i will recommend that to to a client if if they have the budget just to get an ssd and uh or put it in the budget to back it up on there just because Uh, just for a, a, a tangible backup, but I, I do the same thing. I'll put I'll put the the footage 
on a cloud, like Dropbox or, or something. And, and depending on the client, I'll put it on the client's server so that they can they can go access it when they want. Because, uh, you know, it's it's their footage. So, um, you know, if they if they want to they want to have that archived, um, I'll have an archive of mine. But at the end of the day, I also I also expect the client to want to archive their footage as well, because if they want me to just archive it, then then I'm going to charge them a monthly fee to to continue up with it, because, you know, that's just that's just part of that's just part of storage and, and the cost of business. So that's just something that I, I recommend to them. And they typically will just say, yeah, let me just give you a drive and you can you can hold on to that and then put it on my server. So because, you know, if they're going to pay for storage, then they might as well pay it for their own internal server instead of paying me to hold on to it. But I mean, every every client's different. Every company's different. That's just kind of my philosophy. And I don't think there's that, you know, some people may disagree with that, but I think for me, that's kind of worked out. Uh, what would be your biggest um, suggestion, I think, <laughs> uh, that you would give to other people just starting out? Uh, what would you tell basically yourself three years back? Um, as, as a filmmaker, I would say, don't get caught up in the camera hype get caught up in the lighting hype uh, because get get a camera that that can get that can do the job uh, but the lighting is going to do much more of a job than a camera sensor ever will so my advice is learn how to light in a bunch of different scenarios and YouTube has really helped me with that because I can experiment with different techniques a lot of my videos don't look the same just because I try something different almost every video just just to just experiment and um that that just just from a filmmaking perspective learn lighting learn how the light changes throughout the day and what the quality of light looks like during throughout the day and what the color of that light looks throughout the day because all we try to do is is try to mimic natural light for the most part i mean except for like you know, music videos and stuff, but like any any movie Deacons does, it just looks natural. And I mean, even even with practicals, learn what the what a practical looks like and what that looks like in room, all that kind of stuff will make you a better filmmaker, a better cinematographer, because you may want to go to the DP route. And, a, and if you go that route, a lot of your projects may not even use your camera. They're going to ask you to, to hire out whatever other camera, whether it's a Red or Ari or whatever the case may be. So I would say from a filmmaker perspective, definitely learn lighting. And another thing is, is learn like what, or kind of decide and, and, and experiment, get on set with other production companies. Cause then you can kind of figure out what you, what you want to do. I, I know a very, very successful gaffer who he said, you know, he wanted to be the D he wanted to be a DP, like everybody else wanted to be a DP, but he learned that he could be a gaffer and get on much, much more exciting projects as a gaffer, as opposed to a DP. And he loves what he does. And that's, that's not a, that's not a, an, an unexciting job. It's a really, really cool job to be a gaffer. So, I mean, we all want to be DPs or directors, but, um, there are other career paths in the filmmaking world that you can earn money to, to earn a living, 
but then you know you can do passion projects where you are the dp or director so um there is more to filmmaking than than just being the director of photography or the director obviously uh, from a business perspective i would say um, network and meet local not just with filmmakers but with uh, local businesses like get on if you're on facebook get on the the local small business pages and stuff because you can talk with other small businesses these small businesses may say hey i'm, I'm i need a does anybody know any videographers for i i need a quick well hey i'm hey i'm i'm one let's let's chat and that can definitely help um and then wherever you are wherever you're located in the world find a way to make sure that you are protecting yourself as as a business owner um you know here being a, an llc really helps protect you um legally and then research insurance and learn local permitting laws and all that kind of stuff because that can play a huge role that can stop productions if you know or if you if you need to do rentals or whatever the case may be if you're not insured you're not going to be able to get rentals i mean maybe like c stands and stuff you probably don't need insurance but it just depends on the shop so uh there is there is a lot of that and keep track of your numbers i mean a lot of businesses fail because they don't keep track of their expenses and they don't they just overspend and they run themselves into the ground so that's really important um and then there was one more thing I was about to say, and then it just it just slipped my mind. Um, oh yeah, know your worth. Know know your know your your value that you can give to a client. And if I mean if you're just starting out and you need work, I mean that's one thing. Like try to get as much work as you can. But I've had a I've turned down a lot of work with clients and potential clients that try to negotiate my prices down. And to me, that's kind of a red flag. If, if they don't, if they, if they want your product, if they want your talents and your skills, and you've proven that you have those skills and talents, and they try to, they try to nickel and dime you down, then it really shows that they don't, they don't respect you as a business owner. And, you know, my, my, I always say like, Hey, if, if you had an electrician come out, are you going to tell them that you're going to give them half the amount just because you don't want to spend that much? It's the same kind of thing. Um, we're professionals, and I think you should you should give that to yourself that you are a professional, and you should just respect your respect yourself, and just know the value and what you're what you're worth. Because you know, people. I mean, the human nature. Unfortunately, there's some people out there that will try to take advantage every chance they can, and if you get taken advantage of once and you decide to you know okay i'll do it for half well that client that business whoever it is they're going to tell their friend that runs another business well hey you so and so because they only did it for five hundred dollars instead of three thousand dollars and that can that's a really hard cycle to break out of so yeah I totally agree with you like negotiating with the client can be tricky and i also understand that saying no is also hard because at the same time when you say no you might lose the job but you never should uh if you're going down with the price you're also de decreasing your value and uh price is always like an indicator for your value of course 
And I think, but that's something that's also like, at least here in Germany, very special to the creative industry, because you wouldn't say to your dentist, hey, please make my teeth and I will smile to every people that I see and I will say everybody, oh, that dentist made that. Because there are a lot of people thinking like coming to you as an artist and saying, hey, can you shoot that for free? And I will show it to everybody. And uh, that, that, yeah, <laughs> I... <laughs> Um, you know, and, but I've also said this too, like if, if there's a client that you really, really, really want to work with, then, um, you know, first try a spec ad first. I mean, that's another great piece of advice is just do spec work for clients that you want to partner with and you want to align with that sort of industry, do some spec work. Um, that's going to come out of your, your own pocket typically, unless you have rich family or friends that, I mean, that's kind of cool if you can pull that off, but, um, but spec work really helps with that. And, you know, you could, you can make a spec ad and present it to the client and say, Hey, I, uh, I, I saw your, your ad and, um, I, I made this one and I, I think it, I think it may, uh, may speak to your audience, um, a little better or however you want to word it and say, this is something that I made and I, I would I would love to, you know, talk about uh, maybe even selling this to you or talk about how we can partner together to, to make content to reach your audience in a better way. But you have to present it where you're adding value to them, not I need the work. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. Yeah, that's also uh, kind of a true story because I originally studied sports or sports management, it's actually. And I'm always like uh, loving sports and all that kind of stuff. And then I just decided uh, because I wanted to do to work with um, here in Germany, we say Adidas. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, I just uh, made a spec, spec, egg, spec ad for a shoe. And then I showed it off to them and they liked it so much. And also they are in my area here in uh, Bavaria. So, and then I got to work for them because they liked it so much. And uh, yeah, they, they saw that I understand what they wanted to convey with the ad. So, and that's also a huge thing which helps when you're trying to negotiate with the client uh, because you need to understand what's their problem because they are hiring you sure to make a video but they have a, like um they have a they have a business problem that they want to fix either they want to have more revenue they want to have new clients or whatsoever so and if you are if you can identify the problem for the, the client and can convince them hey with the ad or with the video or with the campaign that we are doing we're gonna solve these problems then I think you you um, you can convince a lot of clients, but that always always helped me. Um, but that's something that you kind of need to understand when when you're not coming from like the business marketing world and all that stuff. Exactly, and I mean, as if if you're if you're if as a filmmaker, if you're there's a lot of different routes you can go, and if if you're just trying to go the the DP route or something. Uh, you're gonna have less less of that conversation less of those conversations. You're gonna be hired to show up and be the cinematographer. But if you if you want to run your own production company, whether it's small, if it's just you, one man band, that's still a production company. Uh, you you're you're much more than a filmmaker at that point. You're 
you're a business person and you have to understand um, what, what value added work does for clients. And that's when, you know, even taking some online courses on marketing and business management and business strategy, not only for you, that's going to help help you as as a business person and running your business, but you're going to start seeing patterns and some common threads that really make business businesses successful. And when you can kind of apply what you're doing to your own business and say, hey, potential client, um, I, I see this. I see this potential problem or I see I see where we have an opportunity to reach a new audience or reach an audience in a particular way um, because from my creative experience and, and what I see creatively and the, the the gap where you're trying to reach an audience and it's just not helping or working let me help you bridge that gap and take your product to a new market or you know whatever the case may be but it you know you have to you have to understand how kind of businesses work and and what marketing does and you know learn what you know demographics and all these kind of marketing type terms are because that's going to really help you show your client that you can add value to them that they're not just paying for a video they're paying for really good marketing and if they have if they have a marketing department, that's you know that's where you can partner with them. They say, hey, I've kind of got this vision. How can you bring this to life? Oh, well, we can do it this, 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 and this. And if you want to do this, it's going to cost this. And there's all kinds of variables coming into it. But um, this is really long-winded. But yeah, just you got to be a business person before a filmmaker if you're running your production company or partner with somebody that knows business and that can run a business and let you be the, the creative director of that production company. Uh, what would you say, what uh, kind of revenue streams you could, you can have as a filmmaker or like a yeah digital creator, so to say, because it's not always like client work. And I think it's really important to understand that you can use multiple revenue streams because if one fails, you can rely on another, right? There's, you got active and passive income streams, really. And your active income streams are, I mean, that's client work. I mean, you're, you're, you, you're making a video, providing a service, and they cut you a check for that. And then when that happens, then you, that active income stream is no longer active. But you can also have, with that same client, you could have uh, retainer deals where they hire you as on retainer and you work a certain amount of projects, whatever you, whatever your contract says. And that's also another way to, to have an income stream. But then there's also um, passive income streams. And that's where, that's where something like YouTube or anything like that is, is really helpful um, for me with the, you know, Amazon affiliate and Adorama affiliate accounts, um, even YouTube revenue. I mean, I, I'm at like 10,000 subscribers and I, I mean, I get like a hundred bucks a month or something like that. I mean, the, you don't make a lot of ad revenue from YouTube, but it's still something. I mean, that's, that's gas money or that's grocery money for whatever the case may be. And, but you start adding up these different passive income streams. Another thing is, um, digital products. Like I, I sell, I sell lookup tables for Canon, Canon 
log and came along to it and all that stuff. And that's another passive income stream for me to where I put in the work, I put in hours and hours and hours and weeks on end on developing these things. But now, since those things are are out there on my website, they can they continue to generate revenue. Again, it's not a lot of revenue, but you start adding up these different passive income streams to to the point where it starts to, to it starts to kind of help, especially during the pandemic. These these passive income streams can kind of add up to help you pay for groceries and and or whatever the case may be. And I'm saying groceries because you know my passive income streams don't pay for my rent. It's just it's just not doesn't equate to that much, but it helps with grocery money or whatever the case may be. And then there's other parts of like you know more long-term strategies, investing and all that. Um, and I, I'm not sure what the what what the what it looks like in Germany or anywhere you know else, but like here, you know, as as freelancers in the U.S., you can start. Um, there's a lot of investment opportunities, like uh, like IRAs and Roth IRAs that you can invest in. That you can slowly put a little bit money towards that, and that's something that'll continue to grow. That you're not going to be able to touch till later on. But that's something that you look from a long-term perspective of, you know, if you look at, if you look at you working for a big company, you have a 401k or something like that. But, you know, you don't have that, you don't have that ability uh, to have a, a cool 401k from a big company, but there are other options to do. And that's, that's a long-term income stream, but that's something that, you know, if, if, if you invest wisely, maybe hire a financial advisor or something. That's something that'll set you up for the future that you can really you can really pull from later on or whatever the case may be. So um, I, I think as, as creatives, that's, and that's even uh, one thing that I've really learned from my prior career in finance is that's what I did. I, I worked in finance and budgeting. That's one of the things I really appreciate taking away from that as as a creative, I probably would not have thought about those things unless I had worked what I did. So I'm, I'm really glad that I did what I did, but at the same time, you know, I didn't in, in particularly enjoy it. But but um, it 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 really helped me realize there's a lot more there are a lot more opportunities to generate income, whether it's short term or long term that will really help you set up yourself for the future and, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think also as a business owner, it's really important to think about your own future and what you can do now because you won't have always like the same physical abilities like to uh, carrying thousands of tons of cameras and all that stuff so uh, i think it's uh, I've, really a crazy story i had like for the first project i've ever did well, was a wedding and it, uh, i got like a uh, thousand euros something like that and i kept it in this uh picture that i have on the one like uh, it was like uh, in the um how to say in a letter like you know what, what you you put a letter on it then you're gonna send it uh, was like in this in this um, cover <laughs> and uh, i had it sit there like an a safety investment or safety fund investment and then after one year i was thinking oh man that that money in the wall it doesn't get any more if it's just there 
So I started thinking of and, and then I uh, invested in ETFs and also I've invested in Bitcoins, which I'm really glad that I did that. <laughs> and uh, Yeah, that really helps. And also that is something, um, but I think I've learned it because my dad is a business owner and uh, I learned so much from him that's really helped me also. But also, uh, also as a filmmaker, you know, you can rent your gear uh, that will uh, give you some money. I personally do a lot of stock footage, which also helped me tremendously during a pandemic. Uh, so nowadays, due to the internet, you can do so much and also like a digital product. Uh, it's really awesome. And uh, yeah, to to spread your um, your revenue streams. Absolutely. You know, when I learned one thing I learned in business school was when you're investing, you got to diversify your portfolio. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. And that's just like you said, Paul, like that's exactly right with I mean, I totally agree with uh, income streams is diversify your income streams as much as you can, because that's gonna that's like you said, if one fails, you have other streams of income coming in. And I mean, investing is one of those things where yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't seem, it seems like you're throwing away money almost, but over time it really helps out. I mean, one of the best investments that my, that my wife and I would made is in real estate and, and, uh, you know, land never goes away or, or houses, you know, that they typically trend upwards. And, uh, that's been a, a really great investment that, uh, you know, it, you got to wait a couple of years to, to see that investment if you sell that property or whatever, but there's an investment and then you make a gain on that and you can reinvest that or, or however the case may be. And uh, I think it's really important for creatives to, to think that way, as opposed to just investing in gear, because gear, gear is never an investment because gear, especially, especially a camera, a camera will never, ever be an investment. I just, even if it's, if, if it's an Ari, like it's still a depreciating asset that it sure it might make you money, but if you're going to spend $50,000 on a camera system versus $5,000 on a camera system, you got to really kind of weigh out like what's going to actually lead to, to profits because you know, that it's just something you have to consider. And that's part of like knowing your market and, and knowing, you know, what, where you're going to be as a filmmaker and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, business planning goes a long way, but I think part of that business planning is finding a day, a day, a diverse way of investing and creating passive income streams. And, and I mean, active income streams as well, but passive income is, is definitely something that's very, very useful, especially when work slows down. If you have a slow month or slow quarter or a slow year, um, passive income streams can definitely help out with that. Uh, just one question, because uh, you've said that in the beginning, and I was just like thinking maybe it's just here in Germany, but I've also experienced like the same because I said like at the beginning of the year is always really slow. Uh, that kind of is the same right here, because uh, for me, basically, I have most of my work during like summer. And the rest of the year slows down, normal, okay, because the, in, in the beginning of the year, the companies are allocating their budgets and all that stuff. So 
um yeah it's the same like in the us right yeah i th i mean i i think it depends on on the markets but um there my, my guess with colorado and i would say probably the same thing for uh germany and a lot of europe is a lot of the work coming into the summer is is simply due to weather and um and, and lighting and all that stuff um there's definitely work to be had in the winter but i think maybe that has something something to do with it because especially colorado is very focused on the outdoors and it doesn't even matter i mean it could be a coffee shop and they're gonna have they're gonna have outdoor stuff in their ads in their promotional content just because that's what that's what you know, residents of, of Colorado really gravitate towards just being outdoors. So I think that might have something to do with it. But also just like you said, I mean, a lot of planning that happens for the the following year typically happens uh, in the third and fourth quarter of the prior year. And uh, right now, I, I think especially the, the planning that was done in, in uh, 3Q, 4Q, 2020, uh, there's probably a, a lot of uh, uncertainty that they kind of hold on to, to budget in the beginning first quarter to kind of see how that that quarter goes. But um, also, there's it's just cyclical. There's 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 more. You know, if you're if you're a, a, a company that sells products, then a lot of that advertising budget is going to be held for the summer and fall for the holiday season. Um, and so it, I, th I think it, I mean, it depends on the markets that you're in and where you're located. I think it has a lot to do with it, but still I've, a lot of companies, um, try to be a little bit more conservative in the first quarter to kind of see how, how things pan out because it quite be, could be that a client's first quarter is typically pretty slow to begin with as well. And that's, that kind of makes sense. If you think of the holiday season and people, and, and consumers are, you know, spending a lot of money in the holiday season. Their spending is going to typically go down in the first quarter of the year because number one, they're planning for tax season, especially here in the U.S. That first quarter is planning on taxes and, and trying to determine if they have enough money for their taxes. And you know, as filmmakers, for the most part, our, you know, a lot of our clients. A lot of our work is dependent on consumer spending because if a consumer's not spending, then a client's not going to have the revenue stream to have for marketing expenses and stuff. So that's that's one theory that that kind of that's kind of what I've always thought um, to be that kind of that plus location based. I would say, you know, maybe maybe on the other side of the equator, it might be a little different just from the weather standpoint. Uh, but it also just depends on the market, I would say. So Tyler, yeah, uh, I think that was a, a very uh, great call here, a very informative and thanks so much for your insight. Really uh, enjoyed it. Also connecting with other filmmakers is always great. And also with these opportunities, we can chat even though at almost at night here, <laughs> uh, yeah. Yes, I keep seeing the, your window getting uh, darker and darker. 
yeah but uh really cool hopefully uh one day when uh um traveling is allowed uh, uh we will definitely go to colorado and then i might give you a call to hang up for coffee or something like that it would be really great yeah, absolutely we're uh, we're really trying to get out to uh to germany as well at some point so if we do we'll hit you up yeah sure so um thank you very much for for being on here and uh yeah uh as uh, always i will keep your um your social links drop down below so if you aren't subscribed to tyler edwards just go to his channel he's amazing work also on lighting and all that stuff so really interesting to learn more about filmmaking and thanks for being here and we're gonna see you in the next video cheers well thanks so much i, I really appreciate the opportunity and just uh having me on it's it's a it's an honor to just talk with to talk with you and uh so i really appreciate it thanks for having me on and um i'm sorry if i totally just ruined your ending but i just i definitely wanted to say thank you and i really appreciate your uh your uh your kindness and and your your time to to chat with me so i really appreciate that